Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. Well, a very pleasant uh, good morning to you. Hi, this is Patrick Timpone, OneRadioNetwork.com. It's a beautiful day here in the Texas Hill Country. Of course, it's always beautiful in the Texas Hill Country because it just is. Good to be with you. We're going to have fun this morning, and we're going to dig into the whole germ. Show me the germ. Show me the germ with Mike Stone. And uh, if you care to join us, our 800 line is working, 888-663-6386. Question or comment, 888-663-6386. Email, most people just do the email because you're shy, but that's okay. Patrick at OneRadioNetwork.com. Tomorrow, we're going to be talking with my dentist, who I think is like the best one ever, biological dentist Stuart Nunley from Marble Falls. He comes on from time to time, and we talk about all the things we shouldn't do, like root canals and mercury fillings, but he's been at this a very long time, so if you have questions about your little mouthie, uh, just uh, send them in, Patrick at OneRadioNetwork.com. Patrick at OneRadioNetwork.com. He'll be here tomorrow. And then Richard Mayberry. Uh, He is on the fourth Wednesday of the month, and that'll be tomorrow with his early warning report. Good guy. So if you're interested in investing, where to put those massive amount of dollars, okay, me too, I know, it's it's a few. Uh, Under your mattress, well, you can probably find a better place to do them. Mike Stone is with us. I first heard about Mike Stone from one of my all-time heroes, Dr. Thomas Cowan. We stream Dr. Cowan's show every Friday that he does, and he's been on the show with Kaufman, and and he just had uh, just some great things to say about him and his research. So we, we dug up Mike Stone. We found him. We had to send out uh, our detectives. No, he, we, we found him. And um, he's here. <laughs> Mike is in the great state of Iowa. And uh, Mike is not a geek. I mean, he's not a, a virologist guy. He's not a doctor. Doesn't do medical advice. But he's been studying such things for a very long time. He's a good researcher. And he is an exercise scientist guy and uh, been working in the field for many years. Mr. Stone, good morning. Thanks for coming on. Good morning. Thank you for having me. I love the name of your website, which is, and I'm going to show it to you, <laughs> is Virology. So V I R O L I E G Y, right? Yeah. So you think virology? This, so you think this virology stuff is a is a lie? Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> um, the more I've researched it, the more I've looked into it. Um, you know, it, it came in layers as I was going through uh, uncovering it. But yeah, there's there's nothing there. Nothing there, there. So one of the big aspects of this that uh, Lanka, Cowan, Kaufman, Lando, Sal, Vollmer, and all the folks that we've talked to is this idea of isolation. And is this really the, Mike Stone, the 200-pound gorilla in the room kind of thing that this thing has just never been isolated. Is this, are they on to something? Yeah, I mean, um, it's not even just isolation. Um, they, they've changed, you know, they've completely debased the meaning of the word isolation. Um, but they, they've never purified any particles directly from sick patients. So, you know, they've never taken the fluid then um, they've never actually gotten the particles straight from those fluids they always add it to a cell culture and in that way they claim 
that they've isolated it. They, they just assume that the viruses are in there. They don't actually see them. Hmm. How is it as a layperson you could actually, you figure that out and understand? What's that? How is it as a layperson you actually understand that? Oh, how did I figure it out? How did you understand? How do you um, how do you understand that? Uh, so we could just, so we could understand it as well. Oh, sure. I mean, for me, the easiest way to understand it was uh, looking at the definitions of purification and isolation, and and uh, you know, looking at what virologists claim is isolation. It's not what you normally think of when you hear the word isolation. So. Um, isolating would mean separating something from everything else. Uh, what virologists do is they take uh, a sample and they add it with a whole bunch of other ingredients, whether it's um, uh, to another cell. They, they add antibiotics. They add um, fetal cow blood. Uh, they add a bunch of different nutrients, things along those lines. So um, they don't isolate in the sense that they're taking the particles they believe are viruses and getting them away from everything else. They just say it's within the sample that they're taking from a sick human and then they culture it and they believe they have to grow up from uh, that sample. Mm-hmm. As, as Calvin and Coffin have explained, that idea is, is, yes. is just massive. What's your opinion of why um, so many virologists don't see that do you have an opinion just be your opinion oh yeah i I believe um a lot of it is due to uh i mean they they obviously they go through a lot of medical school and there's a a sort of um indoctrination that goes along with that you know they've um, been studying this for years and um there's i'm sure some cognitive dissonance where they were taught a certain way and so they don't challenge the beliefs they don't they don't look at the underlining um evidence they just believe what they're taught they like if you tell them a lot of times if you ask them how to uh, isolate a virus they don't really know you don't get a direct answer from them they they just uh assume that what they were taught is correct without actually looking uh-huh. you know, through the past uh-huh. to make sure that's the case. It would be much like uh, being taught that 200 cholesterol is dangerous and, and all the other right. things that they're taught. And they just believe that. They just believe it. Yeah, it, it really is just a belief, you know. They they don't really look... Um, for, for me, what I, I've tried to do is go back through, you know, not just taking at face value what we're taught now but looking back through the past and see what the evidence was that led up to that belief hmm. uh, most of them don't do that they they don't question what they were taught they just accept it walk us back and what led up to the belief in the germ theory are, are you uh, somewhat of a historian with this or do we know when it started the idea that there's something that, out there that could infect us I mean, they, they've always had, um, uh, from what I've uncovered, you know, they've always had a belief. You know, I think um, a long time ago, they used to believe it was evil spirits mm-hmm. that were, uh, you know, inhabiting people and causing them to be sick. But uh, it seemed like um, it was with uh, Edward Jenner in the 
late 1700s where he was uh, experimenting with um, cowpox and, and trying to uh, create the smallpox vaccine. And they believed at that time that there was something within the pus that was causing the disease. And so it kind of spiraled from there. They were trying, you know, for a long time, they were trying to prove it was bacteria. But uh, even with um, in the early 19 or late 1800s, early 1900s with Robert uh, Koch and everything, uh, they could find bacteria in cases of disease, but then they could also find them not in cases of disease. So then it seemed like, well, it's not just bacteria. We got to look for something else. So then it became a virus. So it was like the, the process became mm. smaller and smaller and smaller to the point where now you have these invisible, you know, unless you're using an electron microscope, invisible particles that are inhabiting us and making us sick. Mm-hmm. Colin and Coffin have mentioned uh, the, this Ender's paper. Right. Yeah, can you talk about that? And this was a, it was kind of a big deal in a way that this has been used by many docs to say viruses exist. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the Ender's paper in 1954 uh, basically was the foundation for uh, the cell culture technique that's used today. So uh, before that time, they, you know, couldn't isolate the virus. They, um, so Ender's basically create a method using cells to uh, grow a virus. But even within his own paper, uh, he claimed that uh, just because you see, you know, the cell die during these cultures doesn't necessarily mean that it's causing that. I mean, he even had a technically a control where uh, a particle that wasn't the measles virus or they claimed wasn't the measles virus caused the same exact um, cell death that they, they call it the cytopathogenic effect. So they saw the same cytopathogenic effect with a non-measles particle. So um, they still, they use this, they use this cell culture technique to attempt to grow viruses and, and prove it, but it's not an isolation in the sense that they're separating everything, they're just creating uh, a culture soup. Much like we've been, many different much like we've been taught this idea that kidney cells and back, uh, antibiotics and, and waste material and stuff um, that's why the isolation thing has never been done. Right, right. Yeah, they, they, they just, um, if, if you, you know, logically, if you're going to prove a virus, if you're going to prove that these particles are um, causing disease, you would take a sample from a sick person, and from that sample, you would purify and isolate the particles that you believe are causing people to be sick. And it'd be just those particles that you believe is a virus. Um, that's never done. So they take that sample without purifying these particles, and then they put it in the cell culture, which is what Enders did. And after you know adding the various substances, antibiotics, the, the cow blood, um, I think he used like beef extract and other uh, horse serum milk. I think milk was oh. part of it too. Mm. Um, so there's just a bunch of different ingredients. And at, at that point, you can't say that those particles came from a human. That what the end of the experience, you can just say, well, he created something in his soup and that's what they're claiming is a virus. 
So, but when they first go in, Mike Stone, uh, how do they know what what they start with is a virus? They don't. That's what they never prove it pathogenic. <laughs> they don't. They just. I mean, the, the very first particle, they don't know that that's a virus that they get from a sick person. Right. Yeah. They well, they can never see that. The only way they ever see these particles, like when they take it and put it under an electron microscope, yes, sir, is after the cell culture process. So they won't take like a sample directly from a sick human and um, purify it down. What they do through processes like ultra centrifugation, uh, filtration, precipitation, um, and get just those particles and then put it under an electron microscope. They don't do that. They they look at it after the cell culture. So after they've added everything together and they see the cell die, that's when they take from that cell culture and put it under an electron microscope. And so those particles could be from any, you know, source that was added to that, not from directly from the human. So let me get back to the first step. I still don't quite understand. If you have a sick sure. person, it gets something snot or pus or something, that's what they put under electron microscope first, or do they, or do they put no, all the others? Don't. They don't. Why don't? No. If if they did that, could they see something that could possibly be a virus? Could they see those? They, they can't. They don't. They never do. They that's never the do. problem. Why? They they claim there's not enough virus within oh, the sample. That's right. I heard Cowan to, say that. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. He had a great story. Doctor Cowan did of. I think it was a virologist or someone that he was talking to, and he huh. said, so um, if you take one person, can you get their fluid, put it under my electron microscope and see the particles? And no, you can't. There's not enough virus. So I was like, well, what about 10 people? No, not enough. <laughs> and he kept going, 100 people? I think he got up to like 10,000 or 100,000, the virus just stopped answering. He's like, no, not, not enough. Really? It's like, yeah, that's I've, I've yeah. heard him tell that story. So so he actually had a virologist admit then that, no matter how many goops of oh, stuff, yeah. you're just not going to, there's not, not enough virus. You can't find it. Yeah. And um, I mean, it's it just doesn't logically make any sense. Um, Dr. Mark Bailey uh, pointed out to me too, in a, a different study, there was like, um, I think for, for SARS-CoV-2, uh-huh. they did a study saying like, anytime someone sneezes, there's like 200 million virus particles that come out. Really? So, Logically, you would think, well, if there's 200,000 200 million. or 200 million, whatever it is, virus particles coming out, you should be able to find it in a sample that you take directly from a sick human, but they don't do that. Huh. Or they say they can't do that. They can't do that. Can't, right. They can't. Yeah. They, the only way they can find them is if they culture them. And the CDC, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the work of Christine Massey. I've She's heard done of, an I've amazing heard, yeah. Yeah, she's done an amazing job with the freedom of information requests. Right. And um, she uh, had pointed or that um, asked the CDC and they came out and said, no, we can't. We don't have those samples. That's not how it's done. You have to basically culture the virus first before you can find it. All right. We're talking with Mike Stone. If you'd like to join us, 888-663-6386, email patrick1radionetwork.com. What does that word culture mean? What do they teach the doc? I mean, what does it mean really when they say you got to culture it? What does it mean? Like making yo- a, making yogurt or something? Yeah, a, yeah. I mean, I, I guess it's probably the same principle. I, I'm not exactly positive. I just know oh. um, when they're culturing something, like with bacteria, it was to to grow something. 
you know, to grow more bacteria so that they could separate it and and isolate it in that sense. Um, With viruses, they just assume that they're growing viruses. They've never seen them. They don't like with bacteria, they can see them first and then culture them so they can tell they can, you know, see that these or the bacteria are growing and they can separate them and isolate them and all that with the viruses they don't see them first they just assume that they're there they're present and they assume that what they're doing in the cell culture is growing more of them which it's you know Hmm. not very logical Hmm. you should be able to see that first there's this german he probably fulmich he's out there in germany uh trying Hmm. to yeah trying to uh, run something through the courts have you been following his escapades and what he's doing yeah a little bit i i saw um dr kaufman and dr lanka doing uh um you know we're talking with his group right to about the the lack of virus evidence and proof and um the doctor one of the doctors there was um basically arguing that well then what is making people sick is not a virus you know it's just uh uh, it didn't seem like they were very receptive to that, yeah. to the evidence yeah. against virology. It's probably going to be a pretty tough way to go through the courts with what we know about yeah. politics, geopolitics, and you know, deep state and all that stuff. It'll probably be a pretty rough run, but maybe we'll have a shot. Mike Stone is with us, Patrick Timpone, on the 22nd of February. So is it is it true that we've heard that from various people that even back in Spanish flu and polio thing, that there was never really something running around getting people sick. Is that your understanding, your research? Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, with the Spanish flu, you know, it's considered the the most uh, contagious and deadly virus of all time. Um, I don't know, are you familiar with the the Rosnow, Rosnow, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, uh, experiments in 1918? No, I'm not, no. well, basically, um, they did a, an experiment where they had, I, I believe, it was 100 volunteers, and they took these volunteers and had them um, interact with people that were, you know, supposedly had the Spanish flu. Mm-hmm. And they took fluids from these people in multiple ways, from the sick patients, and would um, inject, I don't know if they injected them, but they put them all over, basically, the um, healthy people. They would have them sit with the sick people, have them coughed on, have them talk with them, breathed on. They couldn't Not pass the virus on in any case. And it, it didn't just happen. I believe these, the Rosno experiences if I'm, or experiments, if I remember correctly, were in Boston. And they did around the same time separate experience or experiments in um, San Francisco, which so, showed the same thing. They could not pass on a contagious virus in uh, the fluids of these sick patients at all never it just didn't work no no didn't work whatsoever and then there's been other experiments um you know around the same time i think even with chicken pox and mm-hmm. scarlet fever and stuff like that where they were unable to uh pass on through fluids uh any sort of virus i mean that, that would be a more natural way than what they do now which is culture something then try to inject right. it in, in a person or, or put it up their nose what's your conjecture on Mike Stone, of what these things are, chickenpox, and could they be detoxification processes? Yeah, that's that's what I believe they are, yeah. detoxification processes. Um, you know, I, I believe a lot of it is environmental. Um, 
when I was looking into chicken pox, um, Rudolf Steiner, I believe it was him, uh, was discussing how it's a just a, a stage like kids that will go through. There's a, a mental stage and a, and a physical manifestation of a, a decapitation they just go through around that, that age. It's just a normal process. Um, not everyone goes through it, but I mean, you know, they've had the, the myths of the chicken pox parties and stuff like that, but um, I can't find any studies, nothing that actually verifies uh, any contagiousness going from one case of chicken pox to another, or even with the measles parties. I, I've looked, I can't find any studies. They're just that, not there. Uh, no, no. I mean, you hear like the old wives tales that they say, I'm, I'm not saying they didn't have these parties and that there were people that might, our kids that might've come down with similar symptoms, but you know, it's uh, not, nothing that's been published. Nothing has been published. So that would lead to this idea of the exosomes and energetically, uh, maybe we share things with other people through the air, through, um, you know, through our thoughts and our spiritual and light and who knows, we probably share a lot of things. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. There, there's a lot of um, uh, possibilities and that's, that's one of the problems is that none of that is explored. Yes. You know, really, they're, they're just, they've come up with the idea that it's got to be a virus. Every time someone's sick, we got to find a virus that's causing, you know, basically the same symptoms. They might change the order around or they might change the incubation period and stuff like that. Uh-huh. But it's technically the same symptoms every time. They just have a new culprit. Well, I mean, I, th- I think it could, just for fun, it, it could be easily argued that people in a household and they're thinking they sick, feel sick and they feel bad. And, and if you believe, then you're going to hmm. be sick like them. It'd be very easy to come up with symptoms similar. I mean... Happens all the time, oh, yeah. right? We yeah, believe something. Huh, sure. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I think um, that's been a big part of driving this um, COVID pandemic too. Yeah, is the fear, the fear that's generated. People, uh, you know, we've been told anything from no symptoms, you know, all the way to sniffles and all, all the way on up to, you know, severe symptoms is COVID. So people are afraid if they even are around someone they think might be sick, they got to go get tested or. Um, they might start manifesting the symptoms that they're fearing just based on that fear alone. And then they get tested, and then they get tested positive, and sure. the test is just a big sure. joke. And we'll talk about that. So it's not a stretch to think that, because uh, I just got an email from somebody uh, this morning, one of our listeners in Mexico, and talking about all these people walking around sick with no s- sense of smell and all of that. And, you know, how do you explain that? Mm-hmm. Uh, anos- I think it's called anosmia or something along those lines. I, I'm probably butchering the pronunciation, but I mean, it's something that's been around throughout history, a loss of smell and, and taste. It's not a new symptom. They've tried to make it seem like it's a new symptom, mm-hmm. but I mean, people have experienced it with allergies, the common cold, um, different medications can cause loss of smell. Um, so it, it's not new. You know, it's not specific to, to COVID-19. Um, if people are experiencing it more, to me, it could be, again, psychological. Maybe they've heard, oh, you know, you're going to lose your sense of smell and everything. And so they're manifesting that that fear of losing their sense of smell and taste. Um, or it could be, to me, I think one of the biggest culprits is air pollution. Because air pollution affects your respiratory system. The part, you know, the pollution affects the way you smell, if it damages your nasal cavities and everything, 
that will lead to that. And, and to me, that's a, a big factor in what is causing a lot of our respiratory disease. It's this increase in air pollution. Mm-hmm. And the impact of uh, placebo, of believing that you're going to get something or not going to get something, I don't think that, I don't think you can overestimate, my own opinion, I don't think you can overestimate the, the power in that. And there's there's just not been a huge amount of research, controlled studies and all of that, to prove that out. But intuitively, right. we, we kind of know, don't we? <laughs> oh, definitely. I mean, it's got, it's, it's a factor. I mean, we were, um, they try to look for just a purely physical cause with a, you know, a particle, which doesn't exist, so... But they don't factor in the mental aspect at all, um, the, the way that fear. I mean, I think they do know this. I just, they won't tell you that these things have a profound impact on people's health. Because that blows the whole thing, right? I mean, if you, if you let go of the germ theory, the entire, the entire thing implodes, doesn't it? Vaccines and... Oh, definitely. Uh, Prescription it's medicines? a house of cards in the fall, basically. Yeah. yeah, it it's um, if you if you take it out, yeah, the whole thing comes crashing down. <laughs> they they don't want that to happen. It's no. too much money involved. Probably, yeah. probably not. Obviously, uh, yeah, here, you're absolutely right. Here's an email for you. I've never heard a virologist explain as to how nanoparticles in large enough numbers, such as 200 million in a cough, can kill an adult human being. Yet these numbers are not enough to see under electron microscope, unless they are cultured, not directly from a patient sample. This has never made any sense to me. They can kill but cannot see. Yeah, exactly. Logically, it doesn't make any sense. You know, if you're going to sit there and claim that a, a sneeze can have 200 million particles and that, you know, you're building up enough of these particles in your body to cause illness, you should be able to find them in the natural reservoir of a human body. That would be you there. You know, directly in that fluid. Be, that'd be there. Yeah, like Dr. Dr. Callan said, you know, we're basically a walking cell culture ourselves. You know, our cells, that's what apparently what these viruses are hijacking and, and creating more of themselves. So if someone's going to be sick, if they're showing symptoms, there should be enough of that virus within their fluids to be able to find those particles. But they apparently can't do that. They have to have an unnatural host cell, like a you know monkey kidneys or something, a cancer cell or some other source to to grow these viruses. But you're you're saying when you use the term viruses uh, that this is an all an internal combustion. There's nothing coming from the outside. Viruses, exosome, everything's. Happening right. inside. Yeah, it's not. Not. Yeah, it's not. Uh, yeah, it's coming from within. If anything, I don't even know. I mean, the particles. We can't even say that those particles themselves are within us because they don't find them that way. Um, hmm. The best we can say is that the particles that they are imaging are the breakdown of through the process of the cell culture. So, whether it's the monkey kidney cell or whatever is in there, once you starve it and you add all these toxic chemicals to it, it starts to break down. And then it goes through a whole other sort of um, process when they try to prepare it for uh, electron microscopy. They, they um, fix it, stain it, embed it, and all these things. I don't know if you're familiar with the work of Harold Hillman. I've heard um, about it, yes, from, our, from Dr. Ray Pete, who we have on Hillman, yeah. 
Yeah, and I, unfortunately, I haven't really researched his work enough, um, so I can't really go into a lot of detail. But he did point out that just just the you know something simple like dehydration, which they go through, can alter the morphology of the the sample and the particles and the tissue. And so, just the process itself of preparing these samples for electron microscopy alters and can create these artifacts or these particles. So, wow! Just the, the just not enough think. fluids, just dehydration. Wow. Yeah, hmm. exactly. Just, so, you know, they they can't say that what they're imaging was ever actually in a human. They can just the best they can claim is that these particles were created in that cell culture. Would you, and you, and the the other problem is that it's a mixture of so many different particles. Hmm. You know. Um, they can't even say that that's the one. The, the one that they pick out as a representation, so the coronavirus with the spikes and everything, they can't even say that's what it is because there's so many other particles that are in there that look similar. I've come across studies where they have different, um, you know, exosomes or microvesicular bodies. Um, uh, what is it? The endoplasmic reticulum and all, all the clarinth-coated vesicles. All these things look like coronavirus. They've, they've called them coronaviruses. And then other people are like, wait, 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 wait. No, those aren't coronaviruses. Those are these other particles because they're found in different areas of the body. So they can't even tell just by looking at the particles. They uh, just guess and assume. Mike Stone is with us. Mike, we're going to take a, a quick little break and uh, promote a few products. You might sure. hang, hang right in there. Patrick Timpone, OneRadioNetwork.com. We'll take your emails here this morning. We're live February 22. 2022, oneradionetwork.com, 888-663-6386. Good morning to you. One of the very first things I do in the morning is come sit at my meditation chair, and that's when I take my dual extracted mushrooms from Sir Thrival, the chaga and the reishi. Both of these mushrooms are immunomodulators. If you had too strong of an immune system, like autoimmunity, it'll help to downregulate and calm the immune system. If you have too weak of an immune system, like an immunodeficiency, they help to upregulate or strengthen your immune system. So whatever you're dealing with, they help to bring your immune system to balance. In addition to being immunomodulators and adaptogens, Chaga is probably best known for its extremely high ORAC value or antioxidant content. It scavenges the body of free radicals. And Reishi has a long history being used in conjunction with meditation and for reaching higher states of consciousness. And that's why I like to take these right before my meditation. There's a lot of medicinal mushroom supplements on the market to choose from, but most are made with cheaply produced mushrooms grown on grain and either ground up and put in capsules or extracted in non-organic alcohol. Sir Thrival does it differently. We use wild harvested chaga and organic certified wood-grown reishi fruit bodies, not the mycelial extract. And then we use an organic alcohol and a hot water extraction method and then recombine so you get the full benefits of these extremely high quality mushrooms. Daniel's a great guy. I've known him for, well, 12, 13 years now. We've been promoting his products. Everything is in Myron glass, and it's the real deal, as you heard, how they make these mushroomies, uh, shaga and rishi. They're tonic uh, mushroom, um, tonic herbs, so you can probably take them every day for the rest of your life. Uh, if you use promo code 4 to five fifteen, four to five fifteen, 4 you will get 15% off for the next week or so with um, all of the, uh, the shaga, the rishi, and the vitamin D3. It's a nice one, too, 
with real natural products of vitamin D3. Promo code 4515, 15% off on Sir Thrival. Any Sir Thrival link on OneRadioNetwork.com. Here's physicist, biologist, chemist, Dr. Gerald Pollack on far infrared saunas. Infrared uh, energy is what builds this fourth phase of water. And the idea of a sauna, you know, you go in and you sweat and you, you receive this infrared energy and you feel great after you, uh, after you come out. I felt uh, the same and so have so many people. And most of us think, well, you know, it's just uh, some sort of psychological issue and it, 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 it might be. However... Experimentally, we know that infrared energy builds the fourth phase. Your cells should be or should be filled with this fourth phase, but, uh, but you know, we're, we tend to be somewhat dehydrated uh, and missing some of this, this fourth phase. And so what happens is if you subject yourself to infrared, the infrared is absorbed by your body, absorbed by your cells, and it converts ordinary water to fourth phase water and then you feel better yeah you know that's pretty amazing that we actually are structuring our water in our infrared saunas in our body that we love dr apollica we've invited him back on to come on it's been a while uh, since we've had him on we have a, a wonderful uh, sauna that uh, we promote you saw a picture there if you're on video audio you can just go to our website it's really uh, a wonderful sauna very low electromagnetic fields there's no rfs there's no um, um, electrical energy there's some magnetic energy and the magnetic energy is from these little motors in the units which are on the ground and uh, just but no more i've got all these fancy you know all these fancy things to measure things with um, tri-field meter and all that so it's no more energy than you get um driving in your car or standing next to your refrigerator so it's i've been using for 14 years and you can see i'm not dying um so uh, these things are very very safe uh if you email me patrick at oneradionetwork.com i'll hook you up the price is 1295 dollars that's delivered tax title license 1295 anywhere in the lower 48 for those of you in in Petaluma, that means not Alaska or Hawaii, but we ship them all over the world. We have a lot of listeners in Canada, and we'll send it to you, the sauna, for fourteen ninety five delivered to Canada. But the only way to get this price is to email me, Patrick, at OneRadioNetwork.com. Patrick, at OneRadioNetwork.com, the Relax Far Infrared Sauna. And if I could do the thing here. Why does it not work? Hold on a second. I just had a fat finger moment. Don't mind me. From the Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. We're talking with a nice fellow, Mike Stone. He's up in the great state of Iowa, and he's been looking at things like uh, health for a very long time, uh, exercise science. He's not a he's not a virologist. I mean, you didn't even go to virology school, and you understand all this stuff. Is there such a thing as virology school? Um. Uh, I guess <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, I don't know how one becomes a virologist. That's a good question, but uh, yeah. definitely not a school I want to go to. Mike, uh, Mike, uh, his website is virolig. It's a great website name, virolig. dot com. Let's take a look at it so you can go visit and get all geeked up here. V i r o l i e g y. dot com. 
Uh, Michael, talk to us like we're a young child or a golden retriever, as this helps, because I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed here, of this PCR thing. Now, this test, as as we all know, for two years, over two years, has been the gold standard of you take this thing, you have this thing they call COVID. And this was uh, Kerry Mullis, and he's on tape, and we've seen these tapes, and you have that these things will find anything if you if you look hard enough, right? Can you can you explain to us the flaws in this thing, and does it say anything of value at all when people put this swab up their nose? Um, no, it, it, <laughs> the results are no, basically meaningless. Um, uh, I mean, it's it's essentially just a, a expensive a DNA Xerox machine. Um, it's kind of how I would describe it. Um, now, I'm not an expert by any means as far as the the entire process, but um, you know, they're basically they're just amplifying uh, a sample uh, to to a, a certain arbitrary limit. Uh, they call it the psycho threshold. Um, and they put the sample through this however many cycles they need to get a fluorescent signal to light up and then claim that uh, someone, they detect these small fragments that are supposedly belonging to SARS-CoV-2. And the cycle is just a heating and cooling cycle where they put it through and each time they cycle it, it doubles the amount. And so um, I can't remember the exact... Yeah. Yes, exponentially. Yep, yeah, exactly. And so, um, you know, they they just choose a random number. Most of the the tests that I've seen um, run a cycle of over uh, four or f- at forty. At forty. Most of them at forty. Wow. Yeah, and I've seen some at forty-five, some at fifty, uh, wow. some all the way up to sixty. Wow. Yeah, and um, I mean, there was a great article in the New York Times that came out. Um, basically saying your PCR test is telling you you're positive, maybe it shouldn't be, um, where they argued that the vast majority of these results, anything that was over like 35, a cycle of 35, was uh, basically a false positive. You know, the New York not, Times? Not a, yeah. <laughs> They're yeah. as and, swampy as they um, get. I can't believe they said that. Yeah, exactly. I know. <laughs> I, I love it when I see a New York Times article that basically shoots the narrative in the foot. Right. You have to search for them but they do they do come out and uh basically screw over their narrative but um one of the doctors in there said that uh, they thought even a a cycle of 30 was too high that they would lower it way down like into the 20s and so they're running these tests uh so high that basically anything can test positive if they run it high enough i mean they've they've had you know examples of uh a pawpaw fruit, um, motor oil, a Coca-Cola, I believe. Uh, the one, the weirdest one I saw was a salmon cutting board. Um, all test positive. Water, you know, water test positive. Um, so if there so were, uh, if there were, well, I think one of the great quotes from Mullis was, "You can find just about anything if you anything at all." So if there were a it virus it doesn't tell you that you're sick yeah it doesn't tell you that you're if there were a virus would a PCR be able to find it I guess it would if there were, but it's a dumb question I mean it, it depends I mean, yeah it doesn't exactly it doesn't exist I mean it all it all goes down into like DNA genetics it, whether it, first of all you would have to show that that sequence 
whatever it's detecting actually came from what it's supposedly detecting. Um, since they've never purified and isolated the particles that are supposed to be SARS-CoV-2, then they can't say that those fragments belong to that particle because there's a mixture of all sorts of different particles within that sample, um, whether it's uh, host cells, you know, um, bacteria, other microorganisms. Uh, since they didn't purify and isolate those particles, everything else that was in that sample is getting sequenced along with it. And then they just took what they thought might have been a virus and basically mapped it to some old ones and said, here's your uh -huh. SARS-CoV-2. There was actually yeah. a video that we ran, I, I think a year ago or two years ago, of uh, Dr. Fauci on, on tape. I still have it here somewhere saying anything over 30. Anything over 35. Dead molecules yeah. is what he called it, yeah. yeah. Or 30. Yeah, no, he's, he actually said 30. I remember. Oh, was it there? Okay, yeah. <laughs> anything over 30 would be yeah, a dead molecule. Yeah, um, I mean, there's... um. Uh, uh, the late David Crow uh, had a um, interview with a professor Stephen Booston who uh, basically said anything over 33 I believe was too high I mean I think his own guidelines said no more than 35 but hmm. anything over you know 33 is questionable so right. um, yeah, they, they these tests uh, if they're, t I mean, first of all, they're also very prone to contamination. So, uh, you know, even if like a minuscule amount of contamination gets in the sample, it'll uh, throw off the results. Do you, do you know what the purpose of uh, Mulse's research was? What was he trying to do with this? Do you any idea? No, that's a, I, yeah. I don't. I'm not exactly positive. I, I, I've, I've read accounts of how he created it. Um, you know, where he was talking about uh, like an LSD trip and stuff like that and how the idea came to him in a dream. Um, I don't I don't exactly know what the purpose was beyond just taking small amounts of DNA and creating, you know, large amounts of whatever it is. But even then, you know, he's a kind of an interesting case because he said DNA, all these molecules are all hypothetical, you know, and their functions are hypothetical. Yeah. So, what, what what was he doing? I mean, it's all hypothetical. Who knows? Yeah, Cowan and Kaufman are starting to really dig into that, and we're seeing more videos from them that we stream here about, you know, what's really going on with the cells? What are they made of? How do they work? This whole thing. And uh, they're going to keep digging oh, yeah. if I know these two. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you start looking into all this stuff. You, you not only do you question virology and what we're taught with viruses, but then you start looking into DNA. Hmm. Um and I've, uh, Dr. Jordan Grant, who uh, I, you know, we were going to yeah. talk with us. Um, he and some of my other friends have really been delving into the origins of DNA and how they came up with the, the concept and and whether or not the evidence even exists there. I mean, because it, it, it all ties together: virology, DNA, uh, genomics, Gen um, genomes, and all this. Yeah. Stuff. So genomes, the whole thing. Yeah, exactly. So the whole thing could be made up three years from now. Yeah. We could find out the whole thing is just peace, love, and hippie beads, and nothing else but God, or whatever yeah. is running this thing. <laughs> yeah, not a lot of substance behind it. I mean, it's just, they, they, it seems to me that they just, they do a lot of uh, experiments, get, getting, um, you know, different chemical reactions, and then they create a story around those reactions. They don't really know, they don't see these things, they don't see the DNA, they don't see the viruses, they don't see antibodies but they create a story around what they think is happening within these 
um, chemical reactions and experiments. And then if you teach these things in all the science departments and obviously in medical schools and all kinds of schools involved with health, I mean, it'd be easy to understand how they could just keep the whole the whole game going, right? Oh, yeah. And then, yeah, this is a self-perpetuating cycle. Of, um, and then the same people yeah. essentially owning the media and mm. the, the money, and you put the clop that all together, and there's there's just this huge uh, earthquake of information that may not be right at all. Well, you can't even turn on, the, you know, if you're watching the TV, like I would say, it seems like at least half the commercials are, are pharmaceutical commercials where sure. they're listing, you know, the laundry list of side effects. I mean, the, the pharmaceutical industry basically owns the, the media and, and um, the, the politics and all this stuff. And so, yeah, it's all tied together. Um, and uh, I've talked to a lot of people that have gone through medical school and um, they say you know it's not you're not being taught to challenge these things you're not taught to look deeper and explore the how the things that they take as fact became so they're just basically taught to regurgitate and repeat kind of what we all do in school and so there's not a lot of critical thought and, and logic involved with what um they go through mike mike stone is with so us i'm not saying these people aren't smart no i understand, not, no, not I understand. and they're not bad people they're not bad people. No, no, they, no. They've got kids and a job and a car, and and they're you know Uncle Harry, and they, you know, they're they're just doing their life, but maybe they're just uh, misinformed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, Mike Stone. His uh, website is Vero Ligy. If you'd like to look at it, Patrick at OneRadioNetwork.com is the email address. If you have a question or a comment, and also triple eight six six three sixty three eighty six. This is from Lamar. Um, hi, just wanted to pass along that Mr. Stone knows perfectly well that these diseases are caused by unicorns and garden gnomes. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. Okay, well, that's good. Yes. I never knew that. That is true. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the other, that's an alternative theory out there. Yeah, unicorns um, and garden, <laughs> garden gnomes. Thanks, Lamar. Yeah, I, I did. I did know that. We really, we really needed that. Um, Doctor Grant so, tells me that a lot. So who's so Doctor Grant? You're gonna we're gonna get him on with you someday, right? And uh, I'd love to. Yeah. Yes. What his story? What, what does he do? Oh, he's a, 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 a urologist. Uh-huh. So he's probably one of the smartest guys I know. I mean, um, one of the reasons I thought it'd be great to have him on here is because he is uh, very much. Um, into the scientific method and how uh, science today does not follow this method, um, starting with, you know, needing an independent variable to prove cause and effect, which the independent variable with virology would be isolated, purified isolated particles. They don't have that. So they can't determine cause and effect. And and, uh, he can explain these things so much better than I can. You know, I'm good when I can write these things down, but he can speak about it and and really hammer these points home. So it would be great to be able to be with him. Yeah, I know. He's here. got a kind of a clogged up schedule we tried, but, but we'll yeah, do it. Let's work on it, Mike. I'd love to get both of you on. We can do a three-way uh, conversation. Yeah. And uh, But and but he's a, he's a would you say he was a urologist? Yes. So Mike yeah, Stone, do and, you, um, go ahead. Go ahead. 
Oh, I was just going to say, he's, um, seriously, uh, I've learned so much from him mm. just throughout this, um, these last two years. Uh, we became friends through a group um, on Facebook called Infectious Myth. Um, if anyone, Infectious uh, I'm Myth? sure there's a lot of <laughs> Infectious Myth. Yeah, David, David Crow, uh, a Canadian researcher uh, um, that I learned a lot from, too, just from his writings. He created this group on Facebook and um it, it's a group where just a lot of like-minded individuals um we get together and discuss these things and um i became friends with him through there and uh he, he he's just so good at um taking things and, and getting it right to the essence you know yeah and, and putting it in simplified terms that basically anyone can understand well we'd like to contact him and too. he uses unicorns and milk all the time because yeah, i think i don't know you know, I, some people may think that, well, you know, maybe we can overthink this and over-talk about it, but I don't think so. I, this is really the big one this lifetime, isn't it? Boy, if you get this out there, then, you know, it's just the whole thing changes. The whole thing changes. Well, I think it's the, yeah, it's the biggest issue that we're facing currently. I mean, sure. they are using um, the threat of a virus to do so many things, you know, to take away our freedoms, right. to impose restrictions um, to force tests to force vaccinations or at least to coerce people into vaccinations to 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 keep track of us surveil us i mean there's so much that they can do just through the fear and threat of a, a virus so um the more people i mean i've seen a lot of people um come to the realization that things aren't completely right i right. mean whether whether or not that they um, have gotten to the point where they don't believe in viruses, they're at least questioning and, and seeing that things aren't what we're told. But we need to get more people, you know, aware of this because it is, is this isn't a world that I want for myself, for my, my family, and um, anyone else. And so if we can't uh, get enough people to, to realize the truth, and um, yeah, it, it's it's a major issue. Big issue. So we're familiar with, uh, as I mentioned, Lanka, Cowan, Kaufman, Lando, who we yeah. have on, good guy, uh, Melissa Sell, Vollmer. Uh, I think there's Robert Young. He's he's in there, and yourself. Are there a lot of others? I mean, can you gauge how many souls out there uh, with the knowledge that you all have are out there kicking the tires and trying to? Oh, there's a lot. Is there a lot of? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There, there's a lot. I mean. And that, that's the thing. Um, they're not only just, you know, doctors that are out there questioning all this. And um, Dr. Cowan and Dr. Kaufman and Dr. Lanka are, are kind of spearheading the movement. They've done an amazing job yes, in uh, getting this message out there. But, yeah, there's so many people out there, um, independent researchers uh, as well, that are going out and um, tackling this issue and, and uh, exposing it. Um, uh, so... I mean, I could list a lot, but yeah, I, I it's um, it, it's a lot more than people realize. I could, yes, it feels like that, right? Feels like yeah, that. yeah. And I, it, it feels like there's a there's a leap of tide kind of turning. People are becoming more aware of right. this. Yeah, I saw a, uh, somebody sent me a video uh, a couple days ago. Joe Rogan with the biggest talk show ever in the planet history yeah. of the universe uh he got red pilled the other day on the whole world economic forum and he it was pretty interesting you know and 
and uh, he's a pretty clever guy. I don't I don't think he was really surprised, but because I think he's clever enough because he was actually talking like, is that possible? Is that true? You know, he hangs out with Alex Jones. I mean, they're best friends. He got to know all this stuff. But yeah. I think he's very clever. I would think so. I think he's uh, clever where he's not scaring off his uh, his fan base. And uh, so you know. Cowan Kaufman and Stone get on uh, Joe Rogan someday, then it's game over. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be nice. Yeah, um, I, I, I think that, that, that they've done such an amazing job. I mean, um, I uh, kind of was, you know, sitting on the background a lot and uh-huh. um, doing posts on Facebook, and, and because of the sem- censorship in Facebook, that's what really kind of drove me to do a blog. I wasn't uh-huh. really playing on it at the time, but. Um, uh they've done such an amazing job getting this message out there i mean i i just said um you talked about the the phone phone my mic or phone, i'm sorry i can't remember how to pronounce his last name but the thing that dr cowan or dr kaufman and uh, dr lanka um the group they were talking to you know oh, they, Fo- uh, they reimer fulmerch fulmerch something yes, like that yes, yeah the yes, german yes. the german attorney yes sir yeah yeah i mean and they they Dr. Kaufman and Dr. Lanka just had, um, they had no, uh, the group there had no answers um, to what they were saying. I mean, they, they couldn't, they could not um, rebuke it, you know. They, they just basically had to say, well, that's not what we were taught, that's not this. And, and it, was, it was frustrating to watch, but um, I thought Dr. Lanka and Dr. Um, uh, Kaufman did an amazing job presenting the, the evidence that the, there there is nothing there, like you said. Yeah, yeah. Mike Stone is with us. Uh, we have a few more minutes with him. If you care to join us, Patrick at OneRadioNetwork.com. Uh, Patrick at OneRadioNetwork.com. 888-663-6386. Here's a good question. I love this one. Clarice. Um, oh, it's just like Silence of the Lambs, Clarice. No, just kidding. Uh, Clarice, <laughs> I just saw the movie the other day. Uh, Clarice writes in, so is your guest saying that there's nothing out there that we catch in, that's running around in the air, that's floating in the air, she actually said. Hmm. Like uh, Anything. In, in regards to viruses, yeah, no. Um, there's no pathogenic, I mean, I believe in the air, obviously air pollution, there, there's a lot of stuff in the air that can make you sick, that can um, clog up your respiratory system and, and damage you in that sense. Um, but as far as uh, pathogenic viruses that we're uh, coming into contact with and passing on, we, we can't make other people sick, not, not by being around hmm. sick people. You can't, I don't believe you can pass on, um, they're, they're, you know, a disease in that sense definitely not viruses or at least at the very least the evidence for viruses is um not scientifically sound they they have never proven hmm. that these things actually exist they they have a lot of indirect evidence you know whether it's um antibodies which that's a whole nother issue those also have not been proven to exist but um they have antibody evidence they have um electron microscope evidence, you know, they have uh, genomes, they don't have an actual particle or the, the physical isolated particles. They just have all this indirect stuff that they say, yeah, this, we can infer from this evidence that there is this virus, but they don't have the actual virus. They don't have it. And so this whole idea mm-hmm. of staying away from someone with a cold or a flu 
is just just not true. Never been proven to be true. Right, right. I mean, like I said, they couldn't even prove it with the most contagious, the most deadly flu of all time that they could pass on the Spanish disease. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's probably the hard part for people that because families and friends do get sick together, where it's, (laughs) it's understandable to jump to that conclusion that you caught it from somebody or you caught the same, caught something, right? It's just... It's understandable. Yeah, I mean, there's some some semblance of logic to that, you know, sure. to think, well, if we're all together and we all got sick, then we must have caught something from each other. But right. you can also look at it in a sense of an environmental factors. You know, you're all sitting in the same environment, breathing the same air, typically eating a lot of the same foods or exposed to a lot of the same um, environmental factors that could um, cause that. Or as you discussed earlier, there's a nocebo effect or the fear you know, thinking you might catch something if you see someone um, having symptoms and you're like afraid that you're going to do it or you're preemptively throwing down some medicines to combat it before you get those symptoms. You can create your own symptoms. I mean, there's just a whole lot to it. You can't just say it was a virus. There are other factors that are not looked at. Yeah. So many factors were souls who we are, in my opinion, in a physical body are exchanging everything all the time i think we're just always exchanging everything and in my opinion michael this is one of the reasons why this whole thing is is great awakening is coming out because as you and i wake up more than everybody else does and as the, a listener out there right now in canada is waking up then other people wake up i mean it just works like that it just does domino effect oh definitely Test. i think I, I think we're all connected and we're all helping each other. I mean, um, there's a lot that I've learned just from the, like I said, the the groups that I'm in, the people I talk to, the doctors I talk to, and we're we're all exchanging information and and helping each other to learn and grow. So it's a, it's become a a community process, you know, Um, I I wouldn't be able to have done a lot of this stuff on my site that I've done without their help um, and, and without their influence. So uh, I think we're all helping each other, and we want to get the message out there too to get as many people aware that at least, if they don't want to believe that there are no viruses, at least start questioning that. You know, you don't have to be an expert. It, as long as you research, you put in the time and the effort, you can go. Anyone can figure this out if they just dig a little bit. But most people just accept what they're told. They they accept what the people in the white coats tell them or what the the television is telling them. They don't actually look into anything and dig underneath to to get to the real yeah what the evidence actually shows it feels like there's a thing that we've all gone through this lifetime and previous lifetimes as, as spiritual beings that there are just some things that we just want to hang on to for a while a certain religion or a certain belief system and it takes a while before we say no, i don't i don't think that is true anymore it's a it's a leap for a lot of folks and you know Oh, it's a process. I mean, um, it was for me. I didn't just one day wake up. Oh, and the viruses don't exist. Um, you know, it it took a, a, a while, of, like a few years of just slowly learning. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing would not would would I would start questioning that wouldn't make sense. So I'd start looking into it. Then another, it's just like a you know layers of an onion peeling. You just start to realize um, more and more 
that things weren't right. And so it's going to, it's, I, I try to give people a lot of leeway because it, it takes, a, it's, it's a lot yes, sir. to take in. Yes. You know, it's a, a huge uh, paradigm shift and, and you have to look at things, how we catch disease and how, how disease occurs um, or how we create disease, not, not necessarily catch it, but you know how you have to change how you view all that. Yeah. But it's, it's at the end, other end, uh, it's very liberating to know that there's nothing oh, right. out there going to get you at any moment. <laughs> that yeah, I, I mean that's that's been the, the the most amazing thing. You know, everyone's afraid and they're masking up and they're getting vaccinated. I've never been afraid this whole time, and I've tried to instill that with my family too, um, to some success. Um, mostly, my immediate family are not as fearful, but um, in any case. Um, it's very liberating and I've, I've never worn a mask. I, I won't wear a mask. And I found the more, like if you go places and just act as if it was normal, especially at the height of when they, they were doing these masks, people won't say anything. They, they didn't want to, at least, you know, a lot of times they'll leave you alone. Yeah. And, and if enough people did that, we could turn this whole thing around, you know, but they're so willing and eager to just follow orders. But if enough people said, no, you know what, this doesn't make sense. This mask can't protect me. It can't protect you. It's just ridiculous. What you're saying here, this state of consciousness, I think it's really fascinating where it is a state of consciousness and it's our reality. And it's just separate from other people's reality. It doesn't mean that they can't come in and join our reality if they want. But I, I think it's just, to me, it's just, whoa, fascinating what's going on. I can recall... Uh, back a year ago, even today, I mean, the post office, for example, they have signs all over the place. Do not enter without a mask. All over the place. Oh. All the clerks have masks. All the people there have masks. I went in there two years ago. I never wore a mask because I'm not going to do it either. And I just went in there yeah. and nobody said anything. And yeah. Because right. I knew all that right. I, and I, 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 think you, I think we almost become invisible. I think we get in this reality that people don't even see us because they're in their own reality. Does that make sense? Definitely. Well, I mean, the, just um, recently our airport, you know, uh -huh. you're supposed to wear a mask. They have um, oh, blaring overhead, wear a mask or you'll be asleep. I've, had, I've gone in there numerous times. The security officers never say anything to me. They never say anything. I just walk around. You just walk around as, you know, just, just go as normal. And, yeah, you do. I think there is a sense of uh, um, ability to become invisible. Or they just realize, you know, it's not worth it. Why I don't, like, if I'm in their shoes, I don't want to go up to someone and tell them to wear a mask. I mean, I know there are people that do want to do that. They like the authority and <laughs> the, the Karens, power. right? <laughs> they call them the Karens. Yeah, exactly. It's, it, but it's, it's uncomfortable, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think. And um, I think if enough people... Um, we're willing to, I mean, if you, if you look at the mask evidence, you know, beyond the last 40, 45 years, it showed no effectiveness whatsoever. It just The science didn't just change, you know, now that coronavirus exists well, or exists. Well, it feels like many of us will be driving a lot rather than flying from now on because that, that whole flying thing. Yeah. But that'll probably get argued in the Supreme Court someday, right? Maybe, could be. I would. I would think so. I think I think I can see slowly hmm. they're kind of moving. 
these these steps back. I mean, I'm sure part of it's by design, part of it's push, you know, people are pushing back and they they realize that if they push too much, um, we'll, we'll revolt, you know. Yeah, right. Um, They're not so, going to do it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They, they they have to be careful. They can't keep pushing, pushing, pushing these restrictions, and the the evidence just isn't there. You know, most people are living their lives normally now, anyways. And the, the with the pandemic, there's just not enough. I mean, they they can't keep this up forever. I don't I don't believe. I, they might try it again in the future. That's why I think we're at a, a perfect point right now, where we can. Um, if we do get a lull, I mean, it seems like they're starting to cut back and a lot of these um, restrictions. Right. Now is the perfect time to try and wake as many people up to this as possible. Exactly. So that it doesn't happen. Agree. Here's an email from Jonetta. So they, in capital letters, knew 100 years ago and are faking the previous, oh, and they were faking the previous pandemics. Is that correct? They want, they had a question mark. Oh, that they knew back then? They knew back then. I mean, the people in power, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know who was in power back then. I'll, I can do speculate. But, I mean, they didn't have a virus. You know, they never had any evidence of a virus. They, I think um, with the Spanish flu 100 years ago, they thought it was bacterial at first, and they couldn't prove that. So then it became, well, it must be something smaller than a bacteria. It must be a virus. Mm-hmm. They couldn't prove that. They didn't. The electron microscope, I don't believe, was invented until 1933. So, even if they could see a particle in 1918, they couldn't. They didn't have the means. They to. didn't have the means. So to it was do. all. No, it was just an assumption. You know, they they based it again on indirect evidence, and the the evidence showed that they couldn't uh, pass on the virus. There was nothing to get people sick at that time but there was a lot of evidence like um i've read uh, tylenol overdoses was a, a big thing during that they had experimental vaccines that they were giving people um there was a lot of pollution from coal burning and, and different things like that that were affecting people's respiratory systems i mean there's a lot of alternative explanations for why people may have gotten sick in 1918 that don't yeah, require so. a virus to and some to people cause. argue that there could be an electronic uh, connection to with radar and other stuff popping up around that time that the human yeah. the human body wasn't used to. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that too. I haven't read the book yet, The Invisible Rainbow, Invisible. but I've heard of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe it delves into that about how like at certain points in our history where there was an increase in um, make electronic EMFs and stuff like that, that... Um, that led to outbreaks of disease and then there could be something to that i don't know um i'm sure it does impact our health whether or not it um you know was a main factor i don't know i believe no i think i think there's multiple factors that make people sick the symptoms are all the same because it's a detox but there's multiple factors of why that are why they're detoxing and this 5g thing could be um, could be part of it in Italy where they had a lot of cases and uh, Wuhan, I think, was loaded up with 5G, weren't they? Oh, yeah, they were loaded up with 5G um, and they also, both places, are heavily polluted. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I mean, they found um, they found uh, apparently SARS-CoV-2 RNA and air pollution in Italy in that area. So, you know, the air pollution had the same uh, RNA as the virus but they said well then they found rna in the air pollution or the virus but they can't find it in our samples 
directly from so us. it's not possible that is, is that are you suggesting they just made that part up they found something in the air for italy and they blame well i mean they might have they they might have gotten positive pcr tests you know results because sure. th- those things are so prone to um contamination and errors anyways but um they don't find whole particles they just say well here's this we got this fragment of a sequence and um based on uh, the air pollution particles that we collected so if anything you could say well then basically what they're finding is air pollution not viruses we're talking with mike stone his website is vero dot com. um does your guest here's another email does your guest have any idea of what could be sprayed or taken in to cause the lungs to inflame and fill up with fluids in hours. I guess some people are are presenting these symptoms. Um, like what? What a specific um, what could be agent sprayed? Could be? Yeah, they're asking if, if something could be sprayed to be causing these symptoms in the air. I mean, there's there's a lot of evidence that um, you know the um, particular matter PM two point five particulate matter that's um, uh, extremely small uh, that's all throughout our air. I mean, I don't know exactly what is in those particles, but um, there's evidence that basically every symptom associated with COVID-19 can be associated with those particles that are in air pollution. They they can cause the exact same symptoms. They can lead to premature death. Mm -hmm. They lead to respiratory disease, heart issues, blood clots. I mean, um, so I don't know the exact makeup of what those particles are, but they do admit that these particles in the air pollution can cause every single symptom associated with COVID-19. Right. And that's what would be just our regular run-of-the-mill usual suspects, coal-fired plants, uh, things like that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just like cars burning um, mm-hmm. the planes. You know, you see the trails that they leave, oh, all the, the particles. and yeah. Yeah, and and there, I mean, you get it from various sources, but um, they, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they, I think they've estimated at least an estimate. Who knows? Um, it could be way more than what they're estimating, but at least nine million premature deaths every year just based on air pollution alone. So, I mean, you could that dwarfs COVID nineteen at this point. So, um, yeah. And then, to me, the bigger issue right now is clean up our air, not worrying about imaginary viruses. Yeah. And then the Kaufman account have argued then when that happens and the tissues get damaged, then they give them antibiotics, which stops the healing process, mm-hmm. and then it just continues on and on and on. Oh, and they call it pneumonia. Right? Oh, definitely. The, the medicines interrupt the healing process. They might suppress symptoms for a while, but yeah, a lot of times you find that people eventually have even worse detoxification after that after that sure. uh, i've seen it with, yeah i've seen it with relatives that were put on um dangerous antibiotics for for months and they do appear like they get better but then a few weeks later once they're off those medications it comes back worse than it was before that so to me it seems more like a delay you delay that response and then it comes back even bigger than it would have if you had taken care of it at that time. Because Mike Stone, it's the the body's job. What it does for a living is try to heal. That's what it's trying to do all the time. So even if you stop it with an antibiotic, the body's going to continue to say, well, I still have to get rid of these damaged tissues, whatever it is, through stress or chemicals or toxins or whatever, right? 
I think, yeah, it, it has to take on the bigger, the bigger threat, which maybe at that time is the antibiotics and just clearing all that stuff out of the system. It can't clear out what was causing the symptoms to begin with. And so it goes back into uh, <laughs> trying to clear out the bigger threat. But um, yeah, that, that to me um, is a, a bigger issue is that if we can um, get the air cleaned up, we don't have to worry about a virus. We're going to see a lot of improving in health just off of that alone. Sure, sure. And then to this lady uh, who emailed in about the lungs, I think there's substantial evidence through the work of Dr. Artis, who we've had on, and this remdesivir, and what that does with the kidneys, and then the lungs get filled up, and they have, and they put them on a ventilator, and then, you know, it's good, uh, good yeah, night, yeah, Irene, right? Yeah, is definitely the treatments are some, you know, worse than the actual um, disease that they have to begin with. It, it just creates a, a cascading effect. Um, I mean, how many people were unnecessary, like put on extreme ventilation and had their lungs, lungs, lungs blown out just from that alone, you know, and then they're using antibiotics to treat a, a virus. Um, it it li- didn't make any sense, the, the steps that they were doing. Uh, let's see, the Supreme Court just then dis, uh, declined to hear arguments. So, I don't know if that's exactly if they ever get into the court, but they declined to hear arguments from healthcare workers in Maine to block the state's COVID-19 vaccine mandates. So, at least six justices rejected uh, um, requests to review the lower court's decision how each justice voted was not made public yet. So, that's up in Maine. I guess when they refuse to hear it, that means that's not a good sign, right? Where they're going with that? No, no, that would be they're protecting the interests of the people above. Yeah, yeah. Um, here's an email from Taylor in Austin. Mike, thank you for your website. I stumbled upon it about a year ago, and I've enjoyed the various posts. To quote a great time, a line of yours. Thus, asking neurologists to completely purify and isolate the suspected viral particles from the unaltered sample from a sick person may seem like a Hercules task and an unfair demand. However, this is the corner of virology, and germ theory has backed itself into a, a corner. In order to claim a particular particle is a virus and can cause the symptomatic of disease associated with it, logic dictates that it must be completely separate from all other potential viral variables, factors, in order to pros- prove that particular particle is indeed the cause of disease. That's a quote. So that's from your website. So this fellow's paying attention. Yeah. He has two questions. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. I'm curious if you are familiar with Jeff Green's work. No, I'm, I'm not. Um, I'd be definitely interested to, to check it out. I, I'm not exactly familiar with who that is, but um, I'll, I'll look into it. Yeah, them. check him out. This fellow seems like he know a little bit what he's talking about. Second question, do you, agree, do you agree with the primary issue seems to lie within indoctrination by deceptive semanticists? In other words, should viruses be more appropriately named something along the lines of enzymatic detoxifiers mechanisms or more simply solvents and taught as terrain purification instead of illness 
Yeah, I don't. I mean, that's theory. Um, again, that's assuming that these these particles that they're imaging are even in the body to begin with. You know, because I believe they're creation through the process, the cell culture and the electron mag- mag- uh, microscope imaging. Um, that's where these particles are. So um, it's all, all, everything's a possibility. I don't believe, I don't know if that's the case, um, but uh, there's definitely these particles aren't floating around the air or coming from us and infecting us and making us sick. Uh, it's, if anything, if they do, they, they are from within us and they might be, components of like um i believe dr lanka uh, states they're just you know normal debris caused by the cells breaking down mm-hmm. and so if you're if you're damaged and everything you you might find those within a person they apparently can't find them in a person um but uh it's uh it's a possibility um i'm leaning more towards the fact that any of these images of these particles are just um they're subjected to so much. They're, they're, they're not in a natural state. You know, they're not just taken straight from us and then image. They're put through spinning at, you know, forces they're never used to, uh, filtration, uh, if they go through those processes at all. But if they do, they, they will, you know, try to separate some of the bigger things out from the smaller things. Um, they're subjected to viral transport media, which is just a combination of antibiotics and, and cow blood and, and different things. Then they're added to an animal cell and, and, you know, incubated, heated up, mixed together with all these things. And, and they'll, they'll, you know, replenish the media from time to time to add more to it, to, to poison them even further. Then they're embedded, fixed, stained for electron. I mean, you can't really say that these particles exist naturally in a person because they go through so many unnatural processes to get those images. And it's like, I believe um. With uh, HIV, um, Mon- I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name right, but Luke Montagnier right. um, stated that it was a, a Roman task after their cell culturing to find the particles that they claimed were HIV. I mean, if, if it's, uh, it's ridiculous, then that means that there's so many other things in there to get to the point where they found what they thought was a virus. Yes, sir. Kerry Mullis is on record, too. I've seen the tape where he spent a couple of years looking for this uh, alleged HIV virus. He said he just exactly. couldn't find it. And, you know, there's no. people out there that claim they did. I think uh, Mikovich, she still says, well, no, we isolated it, but she didn't. She uses the same definition they all do, okay. where isolation, you know, isolation is not separating something from all other things. Their isolation is we cultured it. It's a combination. It's within this culture, hmm. you know. It's you can't isolate something by adding a whole bunch of things to it. That's the exact opposite of isolation. That's can you conjecture uh, why so many uh, young, mostly gay people were dying allegedly from AIDS back in nineteen eighty? At that time, yeah. Well, I I believe um uh, what was it uh they're called uh anal nitrate yeah poppers. the poppers yeah. I yeah, lived in New Orleans, uh, and there was a lot of those going around, a lot of that stuff. Yeah, and I heard that that was directly linked to the, the carpasi or sarcoma, whatever the condition that they originally said was um, the cancer that was linked to, to HIV. And so there's, it was um, a lot of uh, drug use, um, alcohol, alcohol, all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, the, it, was, it was just an unhealthy lifestyle. So 
um, from what I've read, the, those were a lot of factors that led into, you know, originally AIDS was just a small, you know, set of symptoms and it grew into like, I think over 30 conditions that they now associate with AIDS and all of them, you know, people can get naturally. <laughs> yes, I mean, and, and, then many, and then many people argue too that then, and then the whole AZT and the whole protocol, you know, that they put them oh, on, yeah. it was very dangerous, well, right. and what what uh, put a lot of those in harm, a lot of them in harm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was it was considered too toxic for chemotherapy when wow. AZD, AZT came out. They wouldn't even use it for cancer patients, and um, you know they created this drug and then decided, well, we got to use it for HIV, and they were using it in such high doses, it was causing the exact same symptoms, the wasting and all that stuff that they associate with AIDS. Um, and then they found when they, you know, lowered the dose of AZT or, or got rid of it, then people lived longer, mm-hmm. of course, because they weren't being poisoned with toxic black. I mean, they're still being poisoned. They're just being poisoned more slowly mm. on these antiretrovirals. You know? I was in, um, I worked work for a radio station in 76, 77, 78, just when this was all coming out, the age thing. And I mean, you could... You could buy a thing of amyl nitrate on, on Bourbon Street for five bucks, just on Bourbon Street. Just walk oh, yeah. in. Oh yeah, just walk in. They, all the gay community did that. Well, yeah, and I think um, so. They gave them a perfect excuse, like, oh, um, you know, this uh, um, these symptoms are a new disease, even though there was a you know a direct correlation at the, at the very least with a with a drug. But I mean. Then they tried to make it a sexually transmitted disease, but then you look at something, I don't know if you're familiar with the Nancy Padian study in, I think it was 1997. No, sir. Where they followed uh, a bunch of uh, discordant um, couples. So one was positive for HIV and the other one wasn't. And they would have sex with each other, you know, over a period of 10 years. They, They followed these people and not a single person got HIV from their partner. Wow. Yeah, that's, so if it's a sexually transmitted disease, it's not a very good sexually. It's not transmitting very well. This leads right into this question from Leah. She's from San Francisco. Does your guest believe that we can share sexually transmitted diseases by having sex? Um, not viruses. I mean, uh, there might be something uh, in the possibility of like a. Um, you know, friction, uh, and, and, um, it, during sex or, uh, I, a lot of people are, you know, uh, not a very comfortable topic, but use a lot of lubes and different things that they're putting on themselves that could potentially, uh, be causing, um, STDs. I don't believe there's any viruses that are causing, I, I mean, I've looked into HIV, I've looked into herpes. The, the evidence is the exact same. They, they, these same viruses thing. don't exist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, most of the time there's other factors that you can um, link to causing these diseases. And I think a big good argument could be made, Mike Stone, that in in the case of intimacy, uh, there's all kinds of spiritual, mental, emotional components to that that are being exchanged through the two people. There just is. There's a lot of factors. So, I mean... And nobody's yeah. ever looked into that, really. Studied it. No, no, they just 
Yeah, they just focus on it's either a bacteria or a virus. And That's it. If it doesn't, then, then, then we don't want to talk about it if it's not there. Yeah, no, no, there's nothing else. It's got to be one or the other. And you need to have these drugs. Here's an email. Apoptosis seems to be all that is occurring, and the toxicity is too great for a normal cleanup crew's microbes to handle. Thus, a process has to take place, and the aforementioned solvents come into play. Pretty much describes detoxification, right? That's what they're arguing? Yes, yeah. Definitely, yeah. Um, as far as I understand, it's just the, a breakdown of the cells. It can easily explain it. Here's an email from and it explains what you're seeing in the cell culture. I can't get this. My earphone thing's driving me crazy. Uh, do you think people at the very top, this is from Leon from Mike Stone, who are pushing this agenda know that there are no viruses? That's a great question. And they have been using the virus and narrative for such a long time to push agendas to control people as well as financing pharma. Definitely. Do you? I, that I have little doubt. I mean, uh, you can see it all throughout the history with, um, I'm, the, with the, the Rockefellers, um, you know, during the, they basically established our whole medical system, Big Oil did. And a lot of the diseases could be linked to the, the products that they were pushing and selling at that time. And so um, almost everything that, uh, that was set up early in the 1920s, 30s, um, through the Rockefeller, the medical institution, all that, um, you know, persists today. And yes, I do believe people like Fauci and all of them know. They, they, they know. They must know. But yeah, yeah there's, there, there, um, well, I don't, I don't speak to anyone specifically, but I believe, I like to give them credit that they're smarter than that, you know. Um, if we can see that this evidence doesn't exist and these people are, in the science field, they should know that scientifically they have not validated yeah. that these viruses exist, these tests are doing what they claim to be doing. It's uh, too, they're, they're too smart to not be able to figure, figure that out. That. Are you familiar with um, Eustace Mullins? No, I'm not. Oh, no. He brought up the whole idea of the banking scam way long ago. Um, and he wrote several books called The Federal Reserve and The Secrets of the Federal Reserve and the whole privacy of the, the banking operation, which they're private. And then he also wrote a book called Murder by Injection. And he was on this, the whole Rockefeller thing long ago. Yeah, and yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. People have been exposed. That's the, that's the, I mean, this is not new. You know, yeah, everything that there. we know. The stuff, yeah, the stuff that I've been uh, posting, I might, I mean, I just try to take from their sources. But, I mean, these are things that anyone can find but um, it's, it's not new. People have known about this virus uh, live for a long time. I think now it's easier to get the message out, through, even though they're sure. trying to censor like a lot this. through yeah. social media. Yeah. And so it's a bigger, there's a lot more platforms and, and ways to get this information out, which people really didn't have access to or, or could get that message out in the past. But right. I mean, that, it, that's one of my favorite things to do is to go back through history like in the early 1900s and seeing the quotes from different medical professionals and stuff like that calling out the bs you know <laughs> like this doesn't make any sense pasteur was a fraud hmm. um you know uh, uh, jenner uh, was just taking diseased pus and put in people as dangerous i mean th there's all sorts of um admittances throughout history where people were calling this out they were just drowned out though 
you Just know, not, big yeah. interest more now. Yeah. I can recall when I was a kid, if Walter Cronkite or Huntley Brinkley didn't say it, or the New York Times or Washington Post or Time Magazine, I guess, I don't know if that was around then, you just wouldn't know about it. I mean, you wouldn't know about it. Oh, exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's the that's the problem is they have so much influence in, um, you know, what people hear and and think and believe. So, I mean, it's it's easy to see how they can shape the narrative and, and people just are too busy or too um, worried about other things to, to take the time to um, look in and see if what they're being told is actually true or not. Right. You know, yeah. they just... Uh, they, they they have their own lives. They don't want to worry about it. It's it's easier to not question, you know, to just go along with it. Um, and and people that do speak out are ridiculed or or uh, you know conspiracy theorists. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you get labeled a conspiracy theorist, and you know, um, I've talked to microbiologists, virologists, and even trying to have a conversation, an honest one with them. It might start off that way, but once you ask them, okay, show me where they purified and isolated virus, then the attacks come out. Then, yeah, you yeah. know, the, <laughs> don't go there. No, we can't go there. <laughs> yeah, then, yeah, then you. Uh, this is from Scott. Excuse me. Uh, thank you for having Mr. Stone on the show. You're welcome. Our pleasure. You guys just touched on the subject of cleaning up the environment, decreasing pollution, which could be making us sick in a weird way. And I'm saying this with, with doubt, though. Isn't this the idea behind the climate change groups? You know, dare I say, uh, Bill Gates and the like? Or am I being, being naive? I don't want to say Bill Gates as he is associated with the depopulation thing. So, yeah, the, the man-made global warming appears to be part of this, right? This oh, whole yeah. thing. Oh, yeah, it seems like that's the, the maybe even the next step. They've been kind of right. pushing that a little bit more now, but um, they use it as an excuse to spray more. I mean, they'll, they'll say we're just throwing these. They, they admit, I mean, they, they won't call them chemtrails. Right. Yeah. They, they they chemtrails. You can't call them, they're contrails. Yeah, they persist. Yeah, they block out the sun. Yeah, they affect the climate, but they're protecting us with them. That, that's what they say. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. You just can't call them chemtrails. And you can't imply that it's a nefarious purpose, you yeah. know, and, and you can't, they, they admit they affect our health. They, they admit that, um, you know, they're uh, damaging the environment. They admit that they are altering the environment. Um, so, I mean, it's not a, con- it's not a conspiracy. When people say chemtrails is a conspiracy theory, that's ridiculous. It's, it's admitted. I found numerous sources where they admit they this. Admit. Yeah. So it's not a yeah, it's not a conspiracy. It's actually happening. Just the the only argument is why they're doing it. People don't believe they're doing it for bad reasons, other people do. Yeah. I happen to believe it's not in our best interest. I think there's plenty of evidence to show that the aluminum or whatever they're using is part of the whole harp idea of weather modification and controlling the weather and uh, I think they're getting pretty good at it. Can pretty much deliver yeah. whatever they want <laughs> yeah uh, it's frustrating just looking you know you'll start off with a beautiful clear day and then all of a sudden boom i mean um it is amazing too how air traffic seems to be really heavy at one point in time and then just kind of dies down you, you'll get these nice long streaks going across the sky and uh then nothing and then the clouds come in mm-hmm. a couple more then we'll let you go mike it's been fun oh you're fine um thank you if if it's all air pollution, 
Why did so many get sick so quickly? If it's all air pollution. Except it's all air pollution. Air pollution, as all you said, was a contributor, right? Yeah, I think it's a, a, a big factor. I don't think it's the only factor. And I think, um, at least if we're talking initially, like in, in April, you know, um, or March or April, I think most of that was generated by the fear and, and uh, inaccurate tests. Um, you know, if you're labeling every common cold symptom or flu symptom as a new virus and people are more aware of that and, and going out and being tested for it, you're going to see a lot of cases of people being sick. I mean, I mean I, the vast majority of those were asymptomatic, you know, people that were completely healthy, but they were labeled as a, a case and a, a disease. So it made it look like there was a bigger issue going on. Um, but then you have to factor in all the, the unnecessary medical treatments that people were placed in at that early stage that was causing them to become more sick and, and um, you know, unfortunately killed a lot of people, a lot of elderly people and a lot of people that were put on. Um, I, I saw quite a few nurses talking about people that should never have been put on uh, ventilation. Yes. Being put on it, and basically it was a death sentence. You know, once you're put on the the um, ventilators, you're dead. You know, so Dell Bigtree interviewed a lady, and I've been trying to find her if I can find the video that they got a group together and they start Mike Stone to studying how much money was involved at the hospital level for ventilators and also putting oh, yeah. putting down COVID as a death. It was a huge amount of money. I mean, billions of dollars have been. Yeah, there was a, a senator, I, I can't remember his name, um, in Minnesota who came out basically, I think he was a doctor too, mm-hmm. and he said basically that they're being paid per person that they're putting on ventilators. Yes. You know, I mean, it, and, um, I think it was 30000 or something, 35000 or something. Yeah, yeah it, was, it, was, it was a lot of money. I mean, yeah, you're, I'm sure the people in you know, charge of the finances aren't going to say no to that. Um, so, yeah, there's that involved. Uh, they were... Um, uh, I think switching how they wrote up death certificates, and if I yes, remember sir. correctly, back in March 2020, they changed what you know how they would classify. I mean, there's so many layers to this. I mean, you can go into the statistics and how they can manipulate the statistics to make it look one way versus another. I just read an article yesterday that the CDC is purposely holding back I data that. Yeah. that they've generated over the last two years because they're afraid it's going to make people believe the vaccines are ineffective <laughs> like well the, that's probably important to know you would think but if, they don't they they hide that stuff also uh, um, we've seen some interviews with people who have found evidence that school boards around the country get money from agenda 21 people the UN and this whole crowd that have all this money available because they play golf with the bankers to actually do the mass mandates to the school boards and why the moms don't get much headway because the only way they get money from these people if they keep telling the kids that they have to be masked. I mean, these people yeah, are really good at this. Well. They're really good at this. Oh, yeah. I mean, this isn't something that just came up and, and like a, a impromptu plan. They've been playing this for years, decades maybe. I mean, um, it, it, they're, they're definitely very good at it. Um, and one of, one of the saddest things I saw, I mean, happy and sad at the same time, was this video from a school in Las Vegas where the kids were finally told they weren't going to have to wear masks anymore, and they just broke out in cheers. Oh. Just 
<laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, they were so excited. I, just, I, I can't imagine why anyone would subject their child, child to that. To, to me, it's uh, paramount to child abuse. I, I know some people were kind of forced to, but um, it was a big point for me never to to allow that. It's just, it's traumatizing to the child to, to have to wear a face mask. They can't see people's expressions. You know, they can't uh, communicate. They can't breathe. They don't want to wear them. And then they're subjected to this stuff. It, it was heartbreaking. Mike Stone, we'll just leave this for last and uh, the whole vaccine thing. So let me just ask it this way because there's so much you could talk about. Just in general, overall, are these injections, they're not vaccines, right? they're just an injection. Right. Um, as David Martin has brought out long ago, long ago, he knew, you know, he can, he's, he's seen his work, his, he's pretty geeky with this stuff. They're not, they're not <laughs> vaccines. Um, do you think these injections are as dangerous as maybe our listeners are hearing from all the alternative sources like here and other places that they go to? Are they, oh, just a oh, general, I know that's a tough question because it's pretty broad, but in your opinion, are they just as dangerous as we're hearing? I, I mean, I think there's definitely evidence that they are dangerous. Um, uh, just looking at the Beers database, you know, all the reports, it's just skyrocketed. Uh, it could be because of heightened awareness, but I don't believe that's just the case. I think um, these things really are uh, causing um, potentially a lot of health effects, whether it's blood clots or inflamed hearts. Um, you know, uh, it's it's sickening when you look through the media and you see all these excuses that they're trying to make for why people are now experiencing more heart attacks. I saw one thing. <laughs> they come up with, they like, have a whole list, drugs. right? Yeah. Yeah. Binge watching TV or, uh, um, it was, uh, like your energy bill. Your, if you see your energy bill, it might cause I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's stress, but I mean, they're, they're trying to make the case that there's all these other factors right. that are causing this new increase in heart attacks, even in children trying to make it seem like it was a normal thing. And it's not, it's not normal. These are increases um, that they're seeing. Um, so there is something to it that, that, these injections are uh, damaging people. Uh, I mean, if you look at it in a, at a detoxification state, if you're already toxic and you're just waiting for that thing to push you over and you're injecting it directly into your system, who knows what's in there? You know, they tell us something, what's in there, but we don't really know. Right. We it streamed, could be just enough to push them into that state. We streamed a video yesterday with Dr. Jane Ruby and she had on a fellow... Um, um, he did does autopsies or uh, at the funeral place and he actually showed pictures of these something he's never seen before these blood clots that are just long things look like snot that are actually hard to yeah. cut yeah he showed pictures of them he said he's never seen them before yeah. never seen them before. wow that's horrible I mean and you know, you, you got to think that um, there, there's a reason that they're pushing for people to get these vaccines. It's not for our own health. No. You know, it's not to protect us from a virus. There, there's a reason they want people to get injected with these things, and it's not a good reason. Um, you know, I, I do believe um, they are causing harm. It's not going to hurt everyone, more than likely, but it is going to cause uh harm in the long run we don't even know we don't know what the long-term effects are uh, yeah how would you know it's just been 
a year and a half or so, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they, they don't even know the the effects of that. And um, I mean, I just saw now a new report this morning that now they're saying, you know what? Studies are showing you don't need those those boosters that you got. You only need you know two now that you're going to be protected for potentially years. So they're not trying to back off how many boosters they're doing because it's it's probably more toxic than they real. Maybe the, I don't know. I mean, oh, no. we're all being ex- the people doing it are being experimented on right now. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's so. a brave new world, brother. We've just got our hands full here, but uh, you know things are moving, as you know, up in Canada. Um, have you been following that, the truckers? And loosely, yeah. yeah. I've I've been so busy with other uh, with other research, but yeah, I've, I've I've heard bits and pieces about what's going on. Yeah, yeah. It's and then I crazy. I read I believe one another convoy kicks off tomorrow, the twenty third of February, in California, and they're going to start California and go all the way to Washington D.C., picking up truckers along the way. And they, oh, wow. the organizers are very organized. I've seen a couple of videos with uh, on Stu Peter's show with this lady, and they know what they're doing. They're going to do it, and uh, wow, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a big deal. Actually, yeah, yeah, definitely. It sounds that way. Well, it's going to. Well, be. I mean, we we have to get we got to you know, we got to bring out the awareness some way, right? What are you going to do? Exactly. Yeah, we we just got to go with whatever means that we can, and that was. You know my point and and uh, doing what I'm doing. I, it wasn't my intention at the start of this, but it's where I find myself in. I'm sure it wasn't. You know, Dr. Kaufman or Dr. Cowan. You know, didn't wake up at the beginning to say, "Hey, I want to go out there and you know, throw all this on people and be rid." I mean, they're. I feel they. You know, they've found a lot of success in what they're doing, but they've had suffered a lot of uh, consequences too because of it, and it, it's un, it's unfair that um, people are. Um, you know, subjected to the ridicule and, and the, the accusations of being a conspiracy theorist when all you're trying to do is bring awareness to the evidence that is right. or yeah, the lack of evidence that's out there. And, and as you say, this, this, is, this is nothing new. A, a good friend of mine, he's not with us any longer, Hal Huggins, he was on the whole Mercury thing for teeth that we're going to talk about tomorrow um, years ago. And uh, But mm. he lost his house, he lost jobs, he he lost everything because the the American Dental Association just hammered him, boy. Just hammered him. Yeah, hammered. Well, that's a that's a sad thing. I mean, um, like that Dr. Cowan. I know. I believe Dr. Kaufman too. Both had to um, give up their medical licenses, and it's ridiculous. I mean, these people are dedicated to helping others. They're just doing it in a different way, you know. And if they don't play along with the rules of the system, they're basically uh, discarded. And then they get hit pieces written about them uh, in the mainstream media. And uh, sadly, you know, most people will just read those and believe that uh, what they're saying is not true or has no benefit. When they they were just to dig a little deeper, they would realize that they are spot on. Well, I think it's, uh, they've been helping us and a lot of other people to talk about these things in a way that we're not being judgmental and crazy about the people that they just are uh, misinformed, you know, like uh, exactly. like the great line in Casablanca where they said, you know, um, <laughs> something like, uh, you said you came to Casablanca uh, uh, for the waters, you know, and, and, the, and the German guy says, well, it's a desert, and Humphrey Bogart said, well, I was just misinformed, you know. <laughs> 
Well, we've all been there too. Sure, I mean, I, I believe in the virus life for a long time, and so it it just it takes a, a, a you know it takes some um, something to push you to start challenging that and question it, and and maybe it is just a, a little bit of information, and that that's my goal is if I can get some sure. someone just to even start questioning it just a little bit with what i'm writing great you know if i can help others find it through dr kaufman dr cowan i i did a a post you know linking a bunch of um um related sites that people can go to i mean there's so many sources out there people just aren't aware of it and so we just have to raise that awareness and, yeah. and you know they can make up their own minds i'm not telling everyone to believe everything i say but if you read from these sources it's kind of hard to come to a different conclusion mm-hmm well, I have great respect for those of you that can look at this stuff and actually make sense out of it. So, because I can't, because it's pretty. Well, whoa. <laughs> uh, well it's, Mike, it's out there. Mike Stone, thanks for for being on the show. Why don't you tell folks just a bit about uh, your website before we go and what they'll find there? Oh, sure. Um, well, it's virology.com, dot uh, com. V i r o l i e g y. Um, it's basically what I've tried to do is go through the sources, whether it's the um, scientific studies for the papers, original papers for the viruses, um, and just highlighting. Uh, sometimes I'll, I'll go through and, you know, do the whole study, or and other times I'll um, highlight relevant information. And I, I try to break it down. I'm not always successful in making it, you know, speak in layman's terms, but I try to break it down as best I can um, and provide the sources so that anyone can read it and find that information themselves and verify what I'm saying um, and you know they can make their own conclusions I will always put my own um, opinion or spin on it but you know everyone's free to, to read these studies to read the sources themselves and, and come away with their own conclusion but um, as I said I think it's pretty hard um, you'll, you'll find um, you know original papers for a lot of the different uh, viruses out there um, I tried to break down the PCR test, uh, antibodies. I've got a lot of stuff I'm still working on with antibodies, um, genomics, uh, a lot of that stuff. So um, if you're looking for uh, some information or you just want some uh, you know, evidence straight from their sources, I think that's what I try to provide. And you do it in a way that uh, hopefully folks can better understand it too. That's what's, what we need, right? We really need uh, this, yeah, this I'll try. Yeah, well, you do a good job, Mike. Thank you for coming on the well, show. Appreciate it. appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, sure, our pleasure. And let us know then when your friend, who you said was really one of your uh, mentors and you have a respect for, can get together and we'll do it again. Have you a threesome on? We'll do it. I appreciate that. That'd be great. Thank you. Thank you, Mike Stone. Take care of yourself. Bye bye. You as well. May thank the you. may the blessings Bye-bye. be. Mike Stone, Patrick Tempone. One radio network.com. Nice guy, huh? And it's a great website, V I R O L I E J G Y. I love the title, Virology. 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 Okay, we'll see you tomorrow. Uh, my dentist, uh, the wonderful and talented Dr. Stuart Nunley, is going to be here. Uh, I've known Dr. Nunley for a long time, and uh, he was uh, actually trained by Hal Huggins who uh, we mentioned during this show, a wonderful fellow, about the mercury, and uh, Dr. Nunley has been carrying it forward ever since, and he's got a great practice in in Marble Falls, Texas, and a lot of people go there. They've 
come from around the world. He takes people all the time. And um, it's healthysmilesforlife.com. I just want to mention it. So if you, you have an opportunity here to talk with a biological dentist, who's a good one, about anything, uh, questions that you may have, um, just email me, Patrick, at OneRadioNetwork.com, and we'll get your question on tomorrow. Or you can call in on our uh, toll-free line tomorrow at 10 o'clock Central for Dr. Um, Stuart Nunley, or you can email in too. So I love you all very much. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we have, uh, in um, three weeks, I think it'll be 14 years doing this particular show, OneRadioNetwork.com, thousands and thousands and thousands of interviews, hours of interviews with all kinds of people with natural healing, uh, a great um, section on money with Andrew Goss called The Real World of Money, about 12 years of shows with him. So if you would like to understand how the monetary system work works, One Radio Network has a, and these are all audio, and you can just dig in, you'll get yourself a PhD in, in economics and finance. And he was one of the best ones on the planet. And his work has allowed me uh, to write the screenplay that I'm completing called The Real World of Money, uh, learning about money from Andrew Goss for 25 years, my teacher. So it's all on our website, all free, oneradionetwork.com. Love you all. See you. Take care of yourself. See you tomorrow at 10. From the Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com.